Hey creative, do you notice yourself getting overwhelmed by social media? Do you ever feel too attached to it or maybe even addicted to it? I don't know about you, but social media has never felt worse to me than it has in the last few weeks with all the pain, suffering, and division in the world. It just feels like a hole whenever I go on that I'm falling down. And I think we all need some tools for how to deal with it and maybe even how to get off of it. So today's interview is very timely. Today's guest is going to share her journey of leaving social media while building her business and how you too can either lessen your relationship with or leave socials and still build a community, business, and creative life. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. This show sits at the intersection of creativity, mental health, self-development, and spirituality, and it's meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. To today's amazing guest, her name is Amelia Hruby. She's a writer, educator, podcast host, and producer, and she has a PhD in philosophy. She's the founder of Softer Sounds, which is a feminist podcast studio that supports women and non-binary small business owners in creating purposeful, powerful podcasts. She's also the host of Off the Grid, which is her podcast that helps people leave social media without losing all their clients. I wanted to have Amelia on because we all need tips on how to lessen the grip social media has on our lives and careers. Amelia's creative journey is super inspiring because it proves that you can have success in a creative career or business without socials. In fact, she's had many podcasts and this one she has right now called Off the Grid is the most people she's ever reached and she has reached all those people without being on social media, which is really impressive. Even if you don't intend to get off socials completely, I personally don't, this podcast that you're going to hear today is helpful to gain tools to build community and visibility in other areas that aren't social media and to start to set some boundaries with the meaning your socials have in your life, career, and creativity. From today's chat, you'll learn how to recognize when it's time to set a boundary with or even leave social media, how to gain greater risk tolerance, why social media can be a hazard to those struggling with anxious attachment, some of the best non-social platforms to build community, and much more. Okay, now here she is, Amelia Hruby. Amelia. I love you already so much. I am so inspired by you. I love the way you run your business. I love the authenticity you bring to everything you do and just what a advocate you are for creatives and deeply feeling people. So thank you so much for being on Unleash Your Inner Creative today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I feel the exact same way about your work. So it's just a real treat to get to be in conversation together. I'm so excited. I have been listening to as much as I can of your work, reading as much as I can, and you have such an amazing creative journey. So it made me curious, what did you grow up wanting to do? Oh, great question. So I grew up wanting to be a writer. Like I wanted to write books. If you go back to like one of those get to know you like posters I made in second grade, like it had says writer or author or book writer or something like that on there is like what I wanted for my future career. So that definitely was 
my initial inspiration. I mean, I always loved words. I used to make little books, illustrate them and read them to my class in elementary school. I was such a such a nerd in the best way. <laughs> That's so sweet. And then, I mean, you've since gone on to write and you write all the time and what you do now. But over the past decade, you've been a university professor, a community organizer, a radio DJ, and then throughout the pandemic, ended up getting into podcasting and leaving socials. And I'm just curious to know about this journey. Could you share your creative journey? Yeah, it's been a long one. And I really love talking about this now because I did not know this was where I was going to land. But when I look back, it's all so integrated. But it was really just a path of following like the next thing that interested me. So, you know, I wanted to be a writer when I was in elementary school. And then I was definitely your like high achieving gifted kid. It took all the hardest classes through school. I went to this fancy public magnet boarding school junior and senior year of high school that was all based on like studying science and math. And so I like sort of took a detour in that direction and then really always came back to writing. So I went to college and became an English major and just like wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And that led me eventually to grad school. And I moved to Chicago to start a PhD in philosophy. And I would say that's really where kind of had that moment at the end of college where I was like, what's the next step? Am I just like take a job working in an office? Or am I going to try to do take a different path? And going to grad school for me was the different path, a very academic path. And while I was in my PhD program, I knew the whole time it just wasn't creatively fulfilling. It was very academic. I did get to read a lot. I got to write a lot. I loved teaching. So I taught at the university for five years while I was in my program. I just didn't get to flex that like other part of myself where I was really exploring and creating and kind of iterating without a specific like purpose or goal in mind. And so I started to like kind of take on these side projects and do different things. I volunteered at a radio station and then became an on-air DJ. And I had a Tuesday morning show from 6 to 9 a.m. for years. I called it Girl Power Hour. So I was always playing like women and non-binary artists and talking about them on air. And like, I loved that. That was so fun. That became my path into podcasting. The radio station trained me in interviewing and audio editing. And so I learned how to make a podcast. And then also in my time in Chicago, I started working with a few different organizations. I started working as an organizer or volunteering on different projects and initiatives and activist efforts. And that really kind of led me down this path of understanding myself as a feminist, of committing to different feminist work in the city. And I at one point had this kind of breakthrough moment where I was like, oh, I want to do a podcast about feminist activism and organizing an art across the US. And so one of the first big creative projects that I initiated and did a Kickstarter campaign for was called 50 Feminist States. And it was a podcast where I traveled around the US and did these sort of location specific podcast episode portraits of feminist activists and artists in different parts of the country. And It was a dream. I raised like over $13,000 on Kickstarter to do it. I road trips around with my partner and we camped and I did all the interviews with my little, you know, my little Zoom recorder, my microphone that I was taking around. You know, there are many more iterations, but like eventually that morphs into what I do now through Softer Sounds, which is a podcast studio where I help other women and non-binary creators make their shows. 
and my own show off the grid, which as you shared, kind of chronicles my journey leaving social media, which is a whole other journey related to this. (laughs) I was listening to you on another podcast this morning, and you talked about how your life in 2020 and who you were is a completely different human and situation than you're in now. And you made a lot of big changes. Yeah. How did you move through that? How did you deal with any fear that came up? And what's your advice to other people out there who want to make big changes and are battling with fear? So during that time, just some of the big changes you're talking about, like in 2020, we obviously all lived through this major change of the pandemic. And kind of within the landscape of that, I moved from Chicago to Lincoln, Nebraska, where I now live to be close to my family. I got engaged and then married. I finished my PhD program, got my degree and left academia entirely. I had a part-time job after that. And then eventually I quit that to launch my own business in 2021. And I left social media. Like there were just so many of these giant life changes. I adopted two dogs, (laughs) all sorts of like on every level of my life, things shifted, as you mentioned. And I think that for me, how it felt was that kind of a slow burn of a lot of things I'd been doing over time really clicked into place. So those major decisions actually just felt kind of like next steps. They didn't feel as big as they were or perhaps as much as they changed my life. They felt like natural evolutions of paths I had been going down. Like I had been doing a lot of ancestral healing work to get closer to my distant and close family. And so moving to live by them felt right. Or I had been working with entrepreneurs for years alongside, like through different organizations alongside my academic career. And so becoming an entrepreneur felt right for me. And then, you know, I had been with my partner for years and like taking the next step, deciding to get engaged and get married, just kind of felt like where we were headed in terms of how to deal with fear. Like, of course, the fear is there. What I like to do, and this is very personal, I find it's different for everyone, but I'm like a big journaler and a big like voice note journaler. (laughs) Yes, I love that. Yeah, I really want to talk through it. And I think for me, the way I always like to approach fear is to try to I always say like I try like look it in the face like I try to get really clear with myself like what am I afraid of and why am I afraid of this and I really will like lay out I'll even do let myself do a little bit of catastrophizing like I will go deep into the fear I live in that fear I sit with it I have a conversation with it and with myself through it and that always helps me just get clarity. And once I have that clarity, then I have my set of like favorite kind of release practices. So that's normally movement or a conversation with like a trusted friend or um, some type of like embodied practice that I might do breath work or even singing sometimes just to help me let go and release that energy that I've cultivated by sitting with the fear. And sometimes after that, I know what I need to do when I take the next step. And sometimes it takes me many, many, many conversations with the fear to move past it. It just depends on where I'm at with that. Ooh, that's so good. You've talked about being codependent and healing from codependency. That's something it's come up a lot for me. You know, it was like, I thought I was pretty good with it. And recently it's come up again. And I'm realizing I'm like in a new level, new devil territory. Mm-hmm. And 
I think like one of the ways it manifests for me is an inability to sit with the discomfort of question mark emotions, which is what fear is. How have you built tolerance for that? I really think it's all happened through like working with trusted teachers and and mentors, people who do energy work or spiritual work or nervous system regulation work. That's a big somatic work is a big part of it. I actually have a podcast client who just released a really beautiful episode on the tension field, which is exactly this, like how to be in that space between like discomfort and change, Mm. like where you're able to actually recognize and sit with the question mark emotions, as you put it, but aren't rushing past it to fixing, quote unquote, what's going on. And I'll send the link so we can put it in the show notes. It's a great episode by Sarah. My Sarah Tangretti is a client of mine who runs a podcast called Threshold Moments. And she is kind of a somatic practitioner who really helps with this. And I've learned a lot just editing her show. It's like a gift to listen and edit because I'm like, oh, I needed this healing. I didn't even know. <laughs> Don't you love it when that happens? I'm like, wow, this feels personal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, universe. I got the message. Yeah, that would be great. I really need that podcast. Okay, so I want to dive into part of your biggest mission right now, which is to help people to leave socials and still have a thriving business and, you know, social life and self. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know this starts with your journey to leaving socials. Could you share how you started to realize this isn't very healthy for me and I need to start making my way out of here? Yeah. I was on Instagram for, I guess, almost a decade. And like many people, at first it started as kind of just like a social sharing app where I like posted pictures of myself and my friends and whatever. And then over time, as a writer, I started sharing more writing there. You know, my captions got like longer and longer and longer as many people did. (laughs) And I started to kind of build some different content series. And eventually all of that led to getting a book deal to release my first book. I actually self-published the book first, and then a publisher found it and reached out to me about re-editing it and publishing it through them. So I did that. And my journey with social media is really tied up with the book because when I got the book deal, it came with a lot of advice and urging to grow my social media following so that the book would be successful. And being like, the good student that I am, I was like, of course, I will listen to you and I will rise to the occasion. (laughs) So I spent over half of my book advance, which wasn't very much. I think my book advance was like $7,000. So I spent like $3,000 or something on getting new photos taken, getting new branding done, hiring a social media strategist to help me actually like strategize around how to grow my Instagram platform and following. And then I put all of that effort in and implemented that work for a year until the book came out. And my book released in October of 2020. So like deep pandemic times, I had a very virtual book launch. I did so many Instagram lives <laughs> the week that my book came out. It was just like endless. I was on everyone's Instagram account that would have me on, I was on. And through that process, you know, it was really joyous and joyful. And I met a lot of great people. And in some pieces of it, I was like, social media is amazing. I got to have a book launch even during the pandemic because of social media, which is a real gift. And at the same time, I started to realize that I was putting in so much work 
and that it was actually really impacting my ability to be creative, my ability to write for myself, my ability to connect with what I even wanted to write outside of likes and engagement and the algorithm. And I started to get the sense that like the trade-off was too high. And at the start of 2021, I sat myself down. I'm like, start of the new year, new me, new Instagram, <laughs> new relationship to Instagram. And so I wrote all these rules. I was like, here's how I'm going to be on the platform this year. And they'll sound very familiar to anyone who's gone through this like bargaining process. It was like, I will log on on Monday mornings. I will post this. I will engage for 30 minutes. I will log off and delete the app. I will reinstall the app on Thursdays. I will be on for two days posting stories and having fun for the weekend. I will delete the app on Sunday. (laughs) Like it was very like I wrote all these rules. And by the time I finished writing the rules, I had this sort of like light bulb moment of the only other time I needed this many rules around a relationship or an interaction was when I was in a really codependent relationship with another human being. And I went to a lot of therapy and did a lot of work to heal that codependent patterning that I had, particularly like anxious attachment is a real struggle of mine. And I realized like I wasn't willing, I had already done that work and I was not going to put myself through it again with Instagram. I was like, I am not doing this for an app. I'm going to jump right to the end (laughs) and I'm going to walk away. Like I don't have to go through that whole drawn out process again. I can just break up with Instagram right now. And that's what I did. And so I left Instagram on April 9th, 2021, and I have not looked back. This is just fascinating to me because right in there with you with anxious attachment, codependency, I know a lot of Unleash listeners also are in this same boat. Tell me why you think or know social media is a particularly dangerous ground for those of us who struggle with these things. I think especially for those of us who struggle with anxious attachment, social media does a really good job. Yeah, I mean, honestly. Gold medal. (laughs) Yeah, gold medal at invoking anxious attachment to other people because it just gives you that little bit of affirmation and then it withholds it. And then it will give you a little more and then it withholds it. So something I realized when I was going through that, like when I made those rules and I would go through my like logging on, deleting the app, logging back on, deleting the app process, it really made clear to me the way that like when I would show back up on Instagram after a while, they would give me tons of engagement on my first post back to really reel me in. (laughs) It love bombed you. It does. It love bombs you 100%. And I keep going and then it would all drop off again, you know? And so I think that it is, I mean, from what I understand about algorithms, to some degree, they mirror our behavior back toward us. (laughs) So when we we respond a lot to anxious attachment, they're going to keep giving us those moments, those love bombs, those breadcrumbs, and we will keep falling into that pattern and that cycle. I think this also plays into the research around the ways that we get dopamine hits from positive affirmation within the apps, the ways that that can cause addictive behavior. So for folks who struggle with addictive behaviors, the apps will also do this in your brain. And it's all intentional on the apps part because their primary goal is to get us to spend as much time as possible on the app so they can serve us as many ads as possible and make as much money as possible. Like that's the stated goal of platforms like Instagram or TikTok. They have to maximize profits and that's how they're doing it. And so I think for those of us who really struggle to 
maintain sovereignty over our behavior, which is literally every human being in the whole world. Like it is so easy to get sucked in to that cycle of like affirmation and then withholding and affirmation and withholding and affirmation and withholding. And I just got tired of the withholding. I was like, I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't want this in my life anymore. Yeah. You want to be held. So tell me how you actually did it. How did you get off? Yeah. So I am very much a strategic thinker. So I had a plan. (laughs) I told my community that I would be leaving Instagram, I think in February. And then I had kind of a two month off ramp. I announced that I was leaving. I've had a date. It was going to be my 30th birthday. I was going to be off Instagram by my 30th birthday. And so I announced that. And I started inviting people to subscribe to my newsletter. It just made very clear, like, I will no longer be on this space in two months. And please go subscribe to my newsletter if you'd like to hear from me. And so I kept doing that. And then I also did create some more content around leaving Instagram. So I wrote a list of 100 ways to share your work off social media that has become very popular. (laughs) And it includes all sorts of things from like start a newsletter to like buy a billboard to like call your mom and tell her about what you actually do and see if she can figure it out. Like all sorts of, (laughs) you know, more traditional like marketing advice and just like fun, silly, enjoyable, pleasurable things we can do to share our work with other people and to connect off of social media. So I created that and shared that. I made some other resources. I was really exiting Instagram, Facebook, Google, and Amazon at the same time. So I made a list of all the other things I was doing. What email service was I moving to? How was I going to buy stuff without Amazon? Like I, I made some blog posts about that. And I shared that content over the next two months. And then I did one final like series of Instagram stories and said goodbye and pointed people to my website. And I left my account up, but I logged out and haven't logged back into it. The willpower on you. That is incredible in you. (laughs) It's very clear. I did go to your Instagram to kind of see how you did it. Because I you've got this also this great document that you share with people. And it is a free tool, which is wonderful. Five steps to get off social media. And one of the things you say is change your bio, profile, story highlights, et cetera, to share that you're no longer on the platform and how to reach you. And it was all very clear. It was still like so welcoming. I mean, your page felt like a hug. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah, you really gave a great example for anybody who's looking to do this on how to do it in a way that is kind, clear, transparent, and still welcoming people into your world, even though you're not there anymore. Tell me what happens the day after. What do you feel the day after you step away? The day after you step away, you pick up your phone approximately 500 times and go to open Instagram and it's not there. (laughs) That's definitely what happens for me, even though, you know, now I feel like I'm a pro of not being on social media. But when I first left, I was constantly picking up my phone. I was refreshing my email. I was refreshing my Goodreads. I was refreshing like all of these things just to like, I was craving the hits of the dopamine and of the affirmation and of the constantly being updated. And it took time to refocus myself away from my phone to build other habits. And I will say like phone addiction is still very real, even without social media. Like I still am on my phone a lot. I still pick up my phone all the time. After I got kind of past that initial moment of, oh my gosh, I'm picking up my phone all the time. Instagram's not there. Then I had so much 
mental space, emotional space, creative space, that the ideas just like flooded in. It's like I had made space for them. And all of a sudden, I was writing so much. I was emailing my newsletter. I was writing for myself. I was posting on my blog. I was like doing all of this creative work because I had cleared out kind of like all of the junk and the constant attention to Instagram and social media. And that was a real gift. And then over time, that kind of I think I came back to more like a human pace with my creation. I wasn't like, I'm not flooded with constant ideas all the time, ever since I left Instagram. But I now have a much more like extended focus, I can work on a project for a longer period of time, I incubate things better and longer than I used to. Because there's no pressure to like share, 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 share right now. And that's been a real gift as well. You're into like spiritual stuff, right? Yeah. I almost wonder, were your spirit guides just able to whisper to you more clearly now that you're not constantly wrapped up in other people's attention? And like I had Melody Beattie on the show and she she talks about how when we constantly have the phone in our hand, we're literally attaching to other people's nervous systems like through that network. And what do you think about that? And I, I would love to hear more about how your creativity changed. I would agree with you that I do think you can kind of hear your spirit guides and yourself so much more clearly when you're not flooding your brain with other people's thoughts and opinions and images all day long. And I think that before when I was so focused on Instagram, it's kind of like the guides would literally have to be screaming at me for me to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> like I only downloaded the really, really loud stuff. And once I was off Instagram, once I got the phone out of my hand, once I detached from all of those other people's nervous systems, like now I can actually hear the whispering. Like I can hear like the tiniest of ideas and write them down and focus on them. I'm not only hearing like the yelling that makes it above the din of the rest of everything else that I'm soaking myself in all the time. And I think the other thing I've really noticed in relation to creativity since leaving social media is that my ideas feel more original because I'm not just responding to other people all of the time. Like, I think of myself as a really like dialogic creator, like I'm in dialogue with so much when I'm creating when I'm making a podcast episode or writing. But I think when I was on social media, it just felt like everything was a reaction to something else. And now I can feel when I'm like, Oh, no, this is something I'm really tracking in my life and my spirit. And I can sit with it. And I can take the time to really create what I need to create about this. That's what I mean by original, like it's coming from within. It's not just a reaction. I'm not just bouncing off everything else happening around me. That's interesting you say that because that was exactly how I felt when I looked at your website because I'm in the podcasting world too. I also produce. And so I see a lot of people's like 10 steps on how to produce a podcast, which I know you're also not a fan of. And I was like, wow, you really put into words why I feel like I'm like a good producer and a good coach. Yeah, like it's because of a softer approach. It's because of a holistic approach. But you did it in this way like I never would have thought to put into words and I've never seen anyone else do it. And it's really interesting. Like I wonder if you would have been able to come up with that had you been taking in all these other very, I don't know like the right word for it, but it just, it feels like I know podcasting wasn't around in the 1950s, but it feels like 1950s style advice on podcasting, which doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of 
what happens on social media and what I see other podcast editors and producers do is like we try to be for everybody and we end up really flattening what we're about or what we stand for. Um, and I think it comes from that sense of like, there's never enoughness, which is like a certain type of scarcity mindset of like, well, there's not enough clients out there. So I got to be approachable and interesting to everyone. So they might work with me or I can't have enough followers. So if I'm not getting as many as I want right now, I need to be more for everybody in some way. I mean, that goes counter to the the advice we get from the same people, which is like niche down, be specific. Like, it's like the same people saying this, both of those things. And then we're all just like, I don't know what, what to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I really appreciate that compliment. And I receive that. And I think it definitely I could not have created softer sounds if I was still on social media, and if I had been focused on what other editors and producers were doing when I was creating it, I really clearly stepped away from everybody else in the space to be able to center in not only what I wanted to do, but like who I wanted to serve and how I was for them. And I found that my website does really clearly like attract or repel people. <laughs> like I am not for frankly most podcasters <laughs> and that's fine and they don't they don't come in. Like I don't field requests from them, but it's like the people who do resonate with the website and with my work. Like they really want it and we make amazing podcasts together. Yeah. Well, you resonate with me. I was like, wow, I think I need her. Because coaches <laughs> need coaches too and it's it's really hard to see yourself accurately. And even just something you wrote, I'm going off track a little bit because I do want to come back to the socials. But something that you wrote on the website that was so compelling to me was what you wrote about Vocal Fry. I have for a long time thought that people's complaints about Vocal Fry are based in sexism. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so speak a little bit to why you called out if you have vocal fry like whatever your voice sounds like we honor that and we want to support you because this is a very clear tenant of your website and it touched me yeah so i think that in our society we have cultural norms about what we think powerful voices sound like and they tend to be low loud voices. <laughs> and those tend to be, we would identify them as men's voices. And like, that's what is powerful. That's what holds power. And a colleague of mine, Samara Bay, wrote a really beautiful book called Permission to Speak that unpacks how all of this has happened like societally and how it lives in our bodies and how when we go to speak, we don't feel if we don't have one of those traditionally, quote unquote, powerful voices, we don't feel like we have the permission to speak. And that book really unpacks how to cultivate that in yourself. But I think when I was writing that for Softer Sounds, I was just really thinking of the way that so many people I know have such amazing things to say, and they don't feel like their voice is powerful enough to say them because it's too high or because they have an accent or because they have a lot of vocal fry. So when they listen back, all they can hear is that sort of like, you know, fried edge of their voice. And you can see this in podcast reviews, you know, you can see this, the ways that people will critique particularly women's voices. You can even see it sometimes in the way that like audio equipment can be geared toward lower registers and it can be harder to hear the higher sounds or the, in our editing softwares and in our headphones and in like the equipment that we use. And so I think that it's important 
for me to like try to grant that permission and support when I'm talking about what we do. And then I also serve as like a support for my clients. So sometimes I will have clients listen to an episode. And I've had this happen in the past where they'll send me like dozens of notes asking me to take out every instance of vocal fry. And I have to open a different sort of space where we can sit together and I can say like, this is your voice and it is powerful and it's important that we try to share it the way you actually sound so that we're not necessarily giving this impression that you can't be powerful and sound like this. And that's been some, like I've had some really tender conversations about that with clients that I've really appreciated that we could have together. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful part of your website. It's not talked about enough in our industry or in the world in general. But speaking about conversations with clients, a main part of what you do now is helping people who have businesses not have social media and still have thriving businesses. <laughs> yes. Tell me about this. Like, how did you start doing this? Your podcast, Off the Grid, I'm obsessed with. But yeah, tell me how you started getting into this arena. I've worked with entrepreneurs for quite a while. So when I was in grad school, I interned for an organization called Fourth Chicago that supported creative women entrepreneurs in the city. And so I met with and worked with like dozens and dozens of women who ran their own businesses of all sorts of sizes and industries. And I actually launched a podcast for them. So I got to interview those women. Like, so that was really informative for me and like kind of sparked this passion of mine. And then when I left grad school, I mentioned that I had a part-time job, and that part-time job was for a company called Sister, which is based out in California and runs something. It's founded by Jennifer Armbrist and runs Feminist Business School. So I was teaching all of this programming through Feminist Business School for the company, and that was my role. I was the program manager and podcast coordinator because we also launched a podcast. <laughs> I had been working with small business owners and creatives and people who were turning their like passions and joys into businesses, probably for at least four or five years before I launched Softer Sounds and launched Off the Grid. And I've just always loved supporting business owners. I think I have such a spirit of initiatory spirit. I love to start things. I love to do things. I love to create things in the world. I have a really strong life force and I'm just out here like creating, creating, creating. And I always have felt that spirit matched in other business owners and creatives. I'm like, let's make the things together. And so when I left social media, when I was leaving Instagram, a big block for me was, can I ever work for myself? Could I ever sell my work? And how would I do that? if I'm not on social media. And I had to figure that out for myself. That's part of why I wrote the 100 ways to share your work off social list, because I was really challenging myself to like, break out of that box, that mindset of like, social media is the only way. So I made the list and I, I did that. And then the way I started helping other people was actually that people kept asking me about it. So I left, it was over a year. I'd been off social media for a year before I launched off the grid, but people just kept like emailing me or like filling out my contact form or like sending me a text being like, okay, you left social media. Like, how can I leave social media? Like, how do, how do we do? I want to do what you did. How do I do this? And that sort of became this invitation to me to start sharing my process and kind of engineering it in reverse for how other people could do that. And now I talk to 
people all the time about people who want to leave social media and they already have a business and we're trying to figure out how do you keep growing your business, people who want to leave social media and then launch a business, people who are influencers and are making a full-time living doing brand partnership work and we're talking about how to reinvent a whole career for them when they want to step away or step back. It's really all sorts of people with all sorts of relationships to social media. And I also work with a lot of people who aren't leaving social media, but who want to de-emphasize it in their lives and want to re- don't want to rely on it anymore. So we're just kind of reconfiguring their ecosystem so it's a much like smaller piece. So for those listening who are business owners or creatives who really rely on socials right now to get the word out about what they're making, what would be some first steps to starting to make that a smaller piece or not a piece at all in their business or creative output? So I think the first step is to actually assess how much business social media is bringing you. I find that most people overestimate it. Yeah. <laughs> like in their mind, they're like, all of my clients come from social media. And then if they go through their client list and start to like trace where people have come from, it may not be as many as you think. It's slightly different if you like create a product or you're selling things like that where social media, I think, a really visually oriented field. I do think social media does tend to bring in more clients that way. But I've worked with plenty of coaches who we kind of go through. They start in this place of like, oh, my clients come from social media. And then we actually go through their clients and like, oh, 20% of my clients last year came from social media. <laughs> so I think the first step is like, let's figure out how much of your business is actually coming from social media, because that's going to tell us how much needs to change if you want to step away or off of social media. Then I think your next step will be cultivating other places to connect with your audience. So for most people, it's going to be starting a newsletter. We're going to take you into the email sphere. It could be text messages. If you're really, if you're in a like an SMS based world, like you could go there. I did a whole year long text message series when I was leaving social media. That was actually great. It was like really fun. And um, I did that for a year and connected with a lot of people that way. So we will come up with like, what are your alternate core channel? What's that going to be? And let's make sure we're getting that established and starting to funnel people in that direction. Then we kind of build strategy in from there. So it's like, what are you selling? How are you selling? What size of audience do you need to have a thriving business? Some people need thousands and thousands of people to be paying attention for them to make a living. Other people need like four clients at a time, you know? So it's like, getting really clear on that, and then figuring out, okay, how do we grow an audience of that size without social media, whatever size you need. For a lot of people, that's going to be actually relationship marketing. Like they actually need to just go talk to people, send emails, do calls. For other people, it might be might be like starting a YouTube channel or a podcast or like building out a different sort of content asset that we're developing. It might be a lead magnet if you're really embedded in email. There are lots of different ways to grow your audience. But I start with that like assessment process first, and then we build the strategy in from there. You know, the idea of the email list, I've heard so many people talk about how invaluable it is. For some reason, it feels completely overwhelming and confusing to me. Like, how do you go about building an email list? And then more importantly, how do you go about building something that's of value for people in an age when everybody's inundated by spam? 
The appeal of an email list is direct connection with your audience and knowing to some extent who your audience is. So that's something we don't get with podcasts, right? Like we get to speak directly to our listeners, but we don't get like a list of who's subscribed. I wish we did. (laughs) I know. With social media platforms, you can see they're like names or profiles of your subscribers, but you don't get direct access to them except through the platform. And I think what's appealing about email is, yes, it is a specific medium, but an email list can happen in many different places. So you kind of like owned channel is what it's called. And you know who's there and how many people are there and all of that. Well, in terms of like overwhelm around starting one, I think the simplest thing to do is just pick a platform, probably a free platform if you're just getting started, make a sign up page and just put it up everywhere you have in your social media bios if you're there on your podcast show notes if you have a podcast, send it out to all your friends if you're really working the group chat and just start gathering emails. And it actually doesn't matter so much if you ever send them an email, (laughs) but I think just (laughs) gathering them is the first step and like kind of getting over that hurdle is our first step. Then we can ask that question of like, okay, so what am I going to create that's like really of value here? And I think that as a creator, as an artist, as a writer, I choose to believe that what we are called to create is inherently valuable. And so I always want to center people in that because I think often we get caught up on that like, oh, there's so much spam out there. I can't add my voice to this mess. (laughs) Similar with podcasts, you know, oh, there's so many podcasts now I can never create one. Like why would who would want to hear from me? I find that those narratives are caught up in a lot of like self-doubt and fear. And so we can start to unpack those questions and then we can hone in on like, what are you feeling called to say or share? What does feel really important? What are you providing for your audience? What's the thing that only you can say in this way? And how can you say that through email? And that's specific to every person. Yeah. What is your favorite or what are some of your favorite platforms for building an email list right now? So I think the most popular one right now by far is Substack. It has grown hugely in popularity. It's a platform built for writers. I did a whole episode of Off the Grid about why I think Substack's not great for business owners, but I think for writers and artists, it's a fantastic platform. And so if people are feeling a lot of resistance toward email or like you want to start a list, but it feels like a big step and it feels stressful and overwhelming, I would say go to Substack. It's free for unlimited subscribers. And if you do decide that your newsletter or your podcast is something you eventually want to monetize, they have very, very easy, simple pathways toward monetization. I think that if you're more, if you're a business owner and you think you want to build out things like lead magnets or you want to have a welcome email sequence or offer a lot of freebies, things like that, then I would recommend perhaps a platform like MailerLite which builds in all of those functionality, but has a free plan. And then I use Flowdesk, which is another email service provider. It's more expensive. So I think if you're really just getting started, I don't know that I would start there. But if you have a business and you're selling things and you have some income and you want like a really beautiful, easy to use platform, I also love Flowdesk. Great tips. And I'm just curious because I heard you mention on your podcast, through your podcast, you've actually reached more people than you ever did with your socials, which I think is so incredible. And there's such an emphasis right now in podcasting on video content and posting on socials and can you convert the video to the podcast. And I think just in general, I mean, 
across industries for creatives, whether you're a singer, you're a writer, to your point with when you were writing your book, there's a real feeling that if you don't have the following, you are not going to be able to get people to your shows, to get people to your podcast, to get people to buy your book. Mm -hmm. How have you built your podcast? I mean, I know you've got your mailing list, but like, what are your tips for people in this kind of artist, really, on how to build while de-emphasizing social media? I think I have two tips. Yeah. Or two pieces of advice, I suppose. I mean, I'm still in the beginning stages of this journey. So Off the Grid is approaching 50 episodes, and we just crossed 40,000 downloads this week. Hell yes. That's amazing. Thanks. It's definitely growing. It's growing faster than any of my other shows, my original shows, and not my client stuff. That's separate. But it's grown faster than my original shows. And when I try to think about like why that's the case, I think there are two things, hence the two pieces of advice. The one is that I think we have to get really clear on that thing that only we can say. It takes time to hone your voice and your message. And I think that you have to put in the work of that time. I made so many podcasts of my own before I made this podcast. I said so many things that like sort of resonated, sort of worked, but didn't really like hit in this way. And I think what's made it, I had to kind of wait and experiment and iterate and iterate and iterate to find the thing that was truly resonant. And I think especially in podcasting, we're searching for resonance and like that's what we're seeking. And so I think that's the first step is it's really like honing your craft, honing your message and then finding the resonance with the audience. And so it's both internal work and external work. And I find that people tend to do like one or the other and not both. Like either artists go so internal that you're only making things for yourself and you're like never ever thinking about your audience or the people who are appreciating and receiving what you're making, or you're so focused on the audience and the people viewing it, hearing it, purchasing it, that you lose your message and what's so important. So it's like this beautiful, delicate dance we're doing. You have to find that resonance. Like the first step is finding the resonance. And then the next part is relationship building. And that is so important. And it's also something you can't skip and you can't fast forward on. Relationships take time. Something I try to say a lot is that, you know, I have a growing podcast now. It's not like a million download success. It's just getting started. And to even get here, I did a decade of community building, 10 whole years <laughs> to get my podcast to these 40,000 downloads, you know, and I think that that can't be understated. Social media promises us such viral fixes and hits and success. And we expect that of ourselves and of our work. But I really think you have to, it just takes time for your work to yield that degree of results. Of course, some people go viral. Of course, some people get it in a second. And we can be envious of that. And we can want that for ourselves. I think that my success has roots. And I can trust it. And I can count on it because I've been building to this for so long. And because it's based in deep, real relationships I have with other people and in a deep resonance in my work with myself and the people who are engaging with it. And like, I can count on that. It's not fleeting. It's not going away in a second. It's going to last. So profound. I mean, something that flashed before me when you were talking is that social media provides us an antidote a fake antidote, but an antidote to the human experience. And what I got from what you just said is we need to cultivate a creative practice that mirrors what it is like to be a human, 
which is slow and steady wins the race. The things we're working on, we're just going to have to keep working on. There's beautiful moments. There's brutal moments. It's usually a lot longer to do something than we want it to be. There's hardly anything instantaneous in life. And when it is, it usually gets taken away from us. That's such beautiful advice to have your creative process and your even the building of your business instead of mirroring something that is so fake and like a drug, mirroring the human experience. Yeah. And I think a big part of that human experience that we also have to embrace in this process is failure and is grief. It does take time and we do just have to keep going. But sometimes things we love so much just won't work. Sometimes we will create what we think is the most beautiful offering in the world and no one will care. <laughs> and it will it will just like it won't resonate. And it may be because we were at the wrong time or because we didn't get it out there in some way. It'll be for reasons we never know. We, like we can't explain necessarily. But moving, allowing that grief in and allowing that grief to transform us, I think is what actually takes us deeper into that resonance. I created so many things, like even my book. My book was not a success. I sold 3,000 copies of that book. It will not get me a second book deal. <laughs> like, you know, on some accounts, it was a great success. On other narratives, it was a total failure. But going through the process of publishing the book, having my revelation about social media after that, and then that leading me into this new phase of my work that is the most successful thing that I've done, that's because I tried one thing, it didn't work, I grieved it, I sat in that, I figured out what needed to come next, and I moved forward. And like, I couldn't have got any of that if I didn't acknowledge and like accept the failure and still embrace myself as a writer and a creative person. Mm, so beautiful and so powerful. You seem to have a really good handle for when it's when something's run its course. I think it's a skill I've honed. Yeah. It's also a little bit like to step into the the spiritual realm. I got really into human design last year. And I was going to ask you what you were. I was curious. Are you a manifesting generator? I'm just a generator. Just a generator. That's still very good. Just a generator. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. A piece of that is like I generate my own energy, but I've just become really attuned to like when my energy wanes, I attend to it immediately. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Like, do I need to take better care of myself? Is there an external factor? Or is this project starting to fade out and we're ready for the next thing? And so that has helped me like tending more to that has helped me like hone that ability to know when something's done and how to release it. And I also really focus on some of maybe what you're picking up is that I actually really tend to endings. When I left social media, it was a months long process. When I ended my academic career, I celebrated that for myself. Like I really try to make space for celebratory endings and also make space for like all the feelings that arise in that. And I think too many of us are just like, oh, that's over on to the next thing. And we like, we don't celebrate the end. And I really try to celebrate the end of things. Well, you don't hear many people talk about celebrating the end, but that makes a lot of sense of why we all have so many messy endings or endings that don't really feel like endings at all. 
And sometimes we don't have a choice. But like, I've been dumped many a time and I had no choice in those endings. and I did not celebrate them. Yeah, <laughs> I found in like many relationship endings, I struggle with that. But, but I've actually kind of learned it like because my creative projects are I got to choose when and how they ended. It gave me a place where I could learn to celebrate endings. And then actually, I've been able to carry that into relationships and other aspects of my life. But it also has just it gives you a really I think it's also just like good energy hygiene to actually end projects and to really like give them their due, whether it's like a party or a funeral or whatever you're doing to celebrate the ending. For me, it's normally honestly just like a journaling session and like a fancy coffee. And like that's we celebrate it. Sometimes there's more ritual. Sometimes there's less. But I think energetically, it's just really helpful to clear that out. I can tell when I have too many lingering open projects, I need to like close the loop, clear the energy, let it go. And that's what makes space for new things to emerge. No, I mean, talking with you today, you've been holding up a mirror and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of, I got to do some delving, (laughs) but I appreciate it. It's like, yeah, you're just living in such a clean way. It's just very apparent. So thank you for that. I want to end with talking about Off the Grid, your podcast. I mean, we've talked about it a lot. It's amazing. If you just could share a little bit about it. And I know you've got this new membership coming up. That's also so exciting. Yeah, thank you. So Off the Grid, as I like to say, is a podcast about leaving social media without losing all your clients. So it's a show for small business owners, creatives, artists, anybody who's a freelancer, self-employed, even side hustling, where you want to share and sell your work without relying on social media to do so. And the show at its core is kind of like a marketing and business fundamentals podcast. Because one of the things I'll say a lot is like social media Struggling with social media is often a symptom of what's going wrong in your business, but not perhaps the actual problem, you know, and so if you don't have enough revenue, or if you have too many clients or not enough clients, it may feel like social media is causing all of that. But there are probably other reasons we can unearth together. And so I do a lot of teaching about business, I do a lot of marketing fundamentals and creative marketing practices. And then some episodes are very specifically about social media itself, the impacts it has on our lives and our work, different ways to step away from it, different practices you can do. And I like to say that I'm like a very gently no-nonsense host. So I'm always going to tell you how it is, but in like a nice big sister sort of way, not in like a you need to change your whole life because you're fucking it all up sort of way. That's not my style. (laughs) And I really don't have any opinion on whether any one person is on or off social media. But I want everyone who listens to have a successful business. Like that's what I'm trying to provide is like tools to help you find your own path forward in business because there's no one right way. We have to experiment and iterate and have fun in the process. And so that's off the grid. We are nearing the end of our second season. And then we'll take a little pause for the end of the year and have season three will start in early 2024. And alongside the end of the season this fall, I'm launching a new membership called the interweb. And that's going to be a combination of pre-recorded courses that you'll get access to and then live virtual retreats next year. We'll do two of them together. I've really found that, I don't know about you or anyone listening, but like I'm kind of sick of 
online communities. <laughs> like, like I, I can't log into Mighty Networks ever again, I don't think, as much as I love some of my communities there. So what I'm really trying to create is like a resource hub where you can go to learn about how to launch a business, to learn about how to run a business, to learn some really good energy practices for clearing your energy around social media. There's a great visualization in there from that that my friend Grace created. So it'll have all those resources online you can access anytime. And then twice a year, we'll come together live on Zoom to really like figure out how to make our businesses work without social. So we'll do that in the first quarter of next year, I'm going to host a reset retreat. And then I now have this sort of signature end of summer retreat called the refresh that we'll do as well. So I'm really excited. It is going to be a great time. And it's also super affordable, incredibly affordable for an annual membership. Listen to Off the Grid. And if you like it, come hang out in the interweb. We'll have a good time. Yeah, I can't recommend Off the Grid enough. It's very few podcasts that I'll listen to and I'll immediately subscribe. And I heard your first podcast and I was like, oh, yeah, I need this. <laughs> Again, like everything about your business, I would describe it as a warm hug. Yes, it's upfront and it's honest and it's to the point. But it's also you combine equal parts spiritual and heart led with honest and just direct advice, which is what really we all need from our coach. I had a million more questions for you, but maybe someday you'll come back and we could talk <laughs> and we can delve into it even more. But Amelia, you are a gift. And thank you so much for everything you shared. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Your podcast is a gift and I'm honored to be a guest. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guest, Amelia Hruby. For more info on Amelia, visit her website, ameliahruby.com. That's A-M-E-L-I-A-H-R-U-B-Y.com. And find her podcast, Off the Grid, wherever you get your pods. Also, get a copy of her book, 50 Feminist Mantras, wherever good books are found. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit and associate produce this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thank you to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. My wish for you this week is that you begin to reevaluate your relationship with social media. Is it healthy? If not, how would you like to see it change? Where can you start finding community that isn't on one of the social apps or maybe that isn't even online? Maybe make something with your hands. If you found that socials are sucking you dry, do anything you need to to help you reclaim yourself, your time, and your creativity. I know it's hard because these things are so deeply entwined in our lives, but we have to set boundaries and take time just to be ourselves. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week. <laughs>